0: Welcome to another episode of Up To. Nine years ago, Up To started as a live event series showcasing leaders who are as humble as they are successful. The humility piece is extremely important as we identify leaders who can inspire others. We try to focus our interviews on the non-business aspects of their lives, and in doing so, have found there is a real thirst to explore their hearts and minds in atypical ways. Our host, as always, is Adam Kaufman. And on this episode, we are joined by Shelby Coffee. Thanks for joining us. We'll be right back.
1: During the first season of the Up To podcast, I had several companies and entrepreneurs approach me about potential partnerships, but I'm really selective before choosing to do something like that. One choice we did make, happily, is to partner with Vivid Front, a full-service digital marketing and website design agency based in Cleveland, that works with both local and national brands. They've built their entire client base on referrals and they've won a lot of awards, including the 2019 Inc Magazine, top 5,000 fastest growing companies, North Coast's top places to work and several others. They're known for their talent, they're known for their creativity, they're known for their culture, a firm I liked before we agreed to partner together for the show. Check out vividfront.com or you can email me and I'll introduce you to their dynamic leader, Andrew Spott.
0: If you enjoy today's conversation, you will also enjoy the Kaleidoscope, Adam Kaufman's monthly Up To newsletter. Sign up for our monthly newsletter on the Up To Foundation website and you will receive more meaningful content and observations as we try to showcase humility and authenticity in the marketplace. Go to uptofoundation.com to subscribe.
1: Our guest is from Lookout Mountain, Tennessee, but who lives today inside the Beltway, near our nation's capital. Early in his career, he was a writer and then editor at the Washington Post, where he spent 17 years. He's also been an editor at US News and World Report, the executive vice president of ABC News and as president of CNNFN. Our guest is perhaps most known for his leadership of the Los Angeles Times newspaper, one of the nation's largest and most important papers, where he earned an Editor of the Year Award from the National Press Foundation due to his respected leadership of that paper during a time when they covered major events such as the L.A. Rodney King riots, the Northridge earthquake, and the O.J. Simpson trial. Wow, you Mm -hmm. covered some serious content there. He has served in leadership roles with the museum, one of my all-time favorite D.C. museums, with the Freedom Forum, and with the Pacific Council on International Policy. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit. A serious newsman in the truest sense of the word and someone I have wanted to have on the show since we began up to four seasons ago. He is the proud husband of an emergency room physician, and he possesses this uncanny combo of sophisticated intelligence and hilarious wit rarely have I experienced with anyone else. And I've told you that before. Mm. I'm super excited to have this legendary journalist and friend in studio with us today. Shelby Coffey, welcome to Up To. My honor.
2: What have you been up to? I've been up to two things during the pandemic a lot more reading and in fact it has brought out a new family tradition twice a week each member of the family an individual will pick his her favorite essays short stories Hmm. poems Mm -hmm. and we uh, get on the phone and read to each other for an hour and that one person expresses his her personality with that we've liked it so much that we're going to continue it post pandemic awesome what's something that stands out that maybe you were surprised a family
1: member read or that you guys all resonated with in terms of uh, an essay
2: or a poem one of the uh, most interesting ones was my my wife uh, finding uh, she is a scientist and so she found the way in which Our neanderthal genes in some people have been able to help them not fall victim to COVID Hmm. in a serious way this Hmm. is uh, continuing and ongoing research so it's not fully set but those who have more neanderthal (laughs) and I happen to know exactly how much I have thanks to ancestry DNA Mm -hmm. uh, the children voted it higher, but I was able to show them the science. So you do this uh, in a zoom or on a traditional phone call? Traditional phone call because not everybody wants to get ready uh, oh, right for right. Uh, <laughs> their hair. I don't like uh, to do Zooms
1: because I don't like to have my hair always, you know, done up at the perfect scenario that it needs to be for video. I don't a know a wise can, choice. I don't know if you can relate. Yeah. Okay. So you have done so much. I don't know where to begin, but l- I guess I'll start with a lot of your work, Shelby, has been in the public eye. I mm-hmm. had a NFL quarterback on this show before and I was talking to him like, what is it like having 60,000 people immediately grade every move that you make and work? Most of us mm-hmm. work and then maybe your customers see the result or your coworkers or stakeholders or investors, but not 60,000 people in a stadium. You in various roles you've had, have even a larger audience that sees the result of your work. Like, What is that like, dealing with that pressure, or do you get immune to the pressure
2: of knowing you're gonna have so many critics? took me a while to get used to that. I remember one of the first negative articles about me in a local magazine in Washington, uh, in which other people who did not like me saying bad things and a friend of mine said what's it like to be hated like that right and I said I try to think of it as if that's an effigy of me meaning like a straw man aversion Mm -hmm. they don't know me because I mean better than they think I do right and and yet it's always worthwhile to pay some attention to how you project Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, it. Uh, I don't think I ever got really used to it, uh, but in a lot of towns, if you're editing the biggest newspaper, then you're, let me go kick the shins of that guy. says right. the, the local uh, village voice uh, type thing. Uh, but eventually the skin hardens or you find a new line of work.
1: Because I'm so sensitive. I mean, I don't think I could do that. If mm. I had one person upset with something i say or something i wrote it would really internalize so i guess you do have to get used to it if you want to stay as editor of the la times or head of the washington post section that you were the head of um head of cnn fn i mean there's so many critics critics and even more now with social media where anonymously people can say that you're an
2: idiot and I, I imagine you just cannot read those things. I think that I think that has really added to it. Yeah. Uh, the the Twitter mobs right. looking for a particular uh, statement and the anonymity gives an added vehemence to the comments. Right. So I've had I've had friends who've been hounded by them. Luckily, I'm not much in the. <laughs> not much in the Twitter range uh, at this point the gun range (laughs) good
1: metaphor Um, you did tell me and we were doing a preliminary call about today that you've had major actors call you when maybe they read something in the LA Times that you were responsible
2: for Uh, uh, yeah speaking of the gun range a couple of funny things yes Charlton Heston used to call with some frequency because he read the paper section by section the los angeles times in between swimming his pool laps and he was always very courteous and he was rarely pleased but he would put it well it's it shelby i'm very disappointed by great this. voice and that voice which i of course associated as a movie with moses course, or god <laughs> ben-hur right uh, uh was uh was quite compelling but uh, we had a good we had a good relationship <laughs> and it uh, was part of the part of the fun of being editor there in that do city. you think this uh, public eye affected
1: how you behaved or what type of work output you did create or did you just go with your gut regardless of what criticism might come
2: i've always thought that major media outlets like the la times or abc news you both lead and reflect your audience, meaning hmm. we, you want to, uh, as Henry Luce said, you want to make people read uh, what they ought to read. And so it's a, it's a matter of enticing, uh, likewise, and broadcast. Uh, so you can't be too far ahead of them. Mm-hmm. But if you are a mere reflection, then you're, you're pandering and you're not doing Uh, you're not doing the kind of extra coverage you should. That's the echo chambers that are too common today, that people only listen to others they agree with. I think it's a very good point. Uh, And what we have now are many silos, because of the Internet and because of social media, where you can go and find that fast 20,000 people who agree with you on almost any and (laughs) reinforce whatever bias you have yes and they get they get each other ginned up and so that's a that's a very different ecology to Mm -hmm. the body politic of america Mm -hmm. and to communications mass media uh, broadly did you always know that you were
1: going to be in the news or was there something early in your career that pushed you in that direction or was it a mentor or how did you end up following a happy journalism
2: circumstance i had i was at the university of virginia and had written you uh, were a student st- there or teaching or a uh, student okay uh, undergraduate and had uh, written for the campus literary magazine there was a, a great uh, short story writer peter taylor who was there known as the american chekhov and he encouraged me hmm. and by an odd circumstance. Walter Pincus, whose name you might know from his many years at the Washington Post covering Mm -hmm. national security, Mm -hmm. at that point was the editor of the Washington Post magazine. This was in the mid-sixties. And he wanted somebody to write about the University of Virginia's legendary party scene. Mm -hmm. How tame it seems now. Mm. And uh, through a friend of a friend they said, well here's a guy who can write fairly well. And so I Rushed out and bought uh, the New York Herald Tribune of Sainted Memory, where Tom Wolfe was writing. Wow. And Tom Wolfe had, he was just on the uptake, and it was the new journalism. And that was uh, the aim of that was to use the literary techniques of short stories to liven up magazine articles, but to also stay true to the facts Mm -hmm. in a journalistic way. And so uh, I did my best <laughs> to, to imitate some of those. Kind of a fun assignment oh, it was for great. your first story. Yes. You had to do some
1: research. You had to get a beer bong and <laughs> go around uh, <laughs> Charlottesville. We, and
2: we, we stuck more to Tennessee sipping whiskey okay. in those days. Okay. Not, not so much beer, guys. Okay. And it, uh, it was great fun, and it was well-received, and, and so Walter had me start writing some other articles come up for the summer and I remember his uh, wife Ann Pincus who's uh, from Arkansas, a good friend of the Clintons and very lively woman and she had a party uh, for all the people who were helping Walter on the magazine and I got a very small little ashtray for being rookie of the year. Hmm. Funny things how it happened. Do you still have the ashtray? That's a nice Uh, keepsake. I I have it in memory, if not in fact.
1: Man, that's tremendous, though. That pretty early. I mean, age 20 or whatever you were as an undergrad, year I think they call it third year or fourth year at UVA. But the Washington Post was your first.
2: Yes, (laughs) uh, and so as it it happened, that coincided with the ascent of Ben Bradley. Okay. uh, As the legendary yes uh, he had appointed Walter was a very good friend and so when I graduated I applied to the post and Mm. Ben had liked some of the I admit kind of flashy writing in retrospect we we all look at our youthful prose flashy like what do you mean like colorful words like bigger than you needed or what do you mean I enjoyed the color Of stories and (laughs) the way in which people and and it was as I said the time of the new journalism and so you had uh, much more of the of the emotion of events the the rawness of people and their changing social mores and that uh, was great fun so I was hired into the sports section yeah yeah and uh, became a writer there and that was before was that pre-Thomas cre- Boswell? Excuse me. I Thomas Boswell and I were the kids in the sports section. I don't even he, like baseball, but I used to just love his baseball columns about the Orioles.
1: This is pre-Washington's baseball team for me. And I just think he was the best cover of baseball. A
2: brilliant guy, has remained a friend all these years. Mm. I, I told him uh, he has ruined going to baseball games. Uh, for me because I went with him and his wife and my wife uh, to a Nationals game. He's, the women talk about their issues yes, <laughs> off to the side, and Tom does a running commentary of the game. He knows every hitter as he comes up his psychological issues, his problems with his agent, wow. uh, wh- what the management's thinking about him, his problem with curveball, and, and it is non-stop. He knows every element hmm. of it. And as you know, when a person has deep expertise, even if it's not something, you know, I'm not a deep baseball fan, boxing, on the other hand, is another matter, but the, the enthusiasm and expertise uh, is just remarkable and that he had that for his entire 40 plus year career mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and was I think by common consent one of if not the best baseball writer I think you're right uh, yeah uh, I'm no expert on the, that in the Hall of Fame yeah so you were now
1: bringing up a topic that I planned on asking about mm. you've covered sports as mm-hmm. we've just acknowledged you've covered is that, that like an admission or something? No, it's great. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I still read. I still get print editions of two newspapers to my home. I'm, I'm an oddity for my generation. If there were only 80 million more people right. like you, this country and would part be of it like is for addiction. the sports page. Yeah, um, but no, it's not an admission of anything guilty. But rather, yeah. maybe the Charlottesville drinking TV. story is actually. <laughs> so yeah, that one is. I was no, a mere observer. But what I wanted to ask you was. Did you feel most alive covering sports or financial topics? Because you also did CNN FN or political affairs? Or is it hard to even pick a favorite um, kind of storyline that you covered? Because you've done some people, like you said, Boswell is like just a sports guy. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, Tony Kornheiser never does politics. You've done different things.
2: The range is. Impressive. Good for me. No, it's impressive, no, it's, it's, I'll say it. You're being humble. It's good for me. I like, I like uh, uh, different things. But as, as you mention it, I think of uh, sitting behind Muhammad Ali in his late years as he came into the Staples Center and happened to be in the seat in front of me from one of Oscar De La Hoya's fights. Mm. And the, the roar of the crowd as he came in, as he walked across the arena, and then sat down and I could see why some of the great boxers including Ali never quit on time they mm. don't stop the adoration is hard to turn because off cause how could you ever yeah turn that off uh, voluntarily not very easy uh, I think also political conventions though they're now Big PR shows. Mm-hmm. There's something about the roar of that crowd uh, mm-hmm. when Bill Clinton was being nominated, or watching uh, Jesse Jackson give one of his speeches. There, there are mar- marvelous uh, elements. I liked the Wall Street people. Mm. Uh, the I remember we had in Jeff Bezos. CNN FN was very much like CNBC. It was CNN Financial. News I remember. Yeah and Ted Turner had wanted to start it because he'd been held back from buying what became CNBC so then he was the plan was he would buy NBC and then they would be merged together and uh, I remember to this day having Jeff Bezos on in the late 90s he had just recently some months earlier been on the cover of Time Magazine Mm -hmm. and seemed to be the new wave but now the tech crash of 2000 had hit okay and and he came with that booming laugh of his and said wall street says the model's not working the model's not working for amazon Mm -hmm. and he was you know legitimately looked like maybe this is one of those stories where you go from hero to zero in a couple of quick years yeah i remember because
1: early on Amazon lost more the more books they sold. That yeah. was that was the broken model that he was referring to. And
2: with and while investors were ready to bet on the future, come '99 and 2000, as you recall, suddenly that future with Pets.com and other mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, failed companies going under that didn't look quite as good. Right, right. And I I sometimes think about that. I known him a little bit over the years since and thought what a what a smart so were you interviewing
1: him? I'm sorry I interrupted mm-hmm. you a minute ago but so were you
2: telling me a story about you were interviewing him at that w- time I didn't interview him I was talking to him in the green room at We FM. we interviewed him yeah. meaning the anchors were interviewing got him. it but got we had it. a long talk yeah uh, so
1: name. you're giving me different examples of what's good about sports or business or political news coverage Um, But you paint a good picture about the adoration of a Muhammad Ali Mm. entering, you know, the Staples Center. I can imagine that. And the political conventions, while euphoric, that's very rare. Usually if a president walks into any room during a presidency, whether it's Clinton or Bush or anyone, they don't get that roar of, like, the athlete coming in. You mentioned Charlton Heston, and I wasn't planning on bringing this up, Mm. but— in my past i had uh, exposure to mr heston too and hmm. uh, he was president of the nra when i right. was at the nra mm-hmm. and when we would walk down the street and this is referring to the adoration you're talking about right we would walk down the street and he would be like any mid 70s year old man you know he might have a sore knee that was making him a little moody or he might you know be hungry and he wants to go eat or you know what he's a human sure but as soon as a fan came up he lit up like the movie star that we both think of Charlton Heston as right whether the young lady was 21 or 81 they all loved him and that adoration it's kind of like the Muhammad Ali adoration it must be hard to give up so it'd be fun to cover that kind of stuff
2: yes i think it it would be hard to uh, give up but it's also it's demanding on the person yeah. to uh, to turn it on and i'm right. sure it becomes a a um, a reflex uh, right. in some ways yeah. and then you think oh, I, just wanna go, yeah. I just want to go i just want to go get a cup right. of coffee hey, Yeah,
1: let's, let's let's go sit down somewhere has there ever been uh, in your career that has spanned the sports the business the financial like we discussed mm. Has there ever been like a big why in the road where you had to decide, should I go this way or that way? I believe, you know, God has a plan, but we all have free will mm-hmm. to go left or right or to take this call or not take this call. Was there ever a, a big moment where you could have gone a couple different directions? I do hear a lot of feedback from uh, the show listeners who are younger in their careers and they like hearing about how successful people navigate
2: these uh, these whys in the road it's a good question thank you and I have gone through several whys in the road as you can see looking at the (laughs) the checkered (laughs) career
1: no it's not checkered I mean you you started working for the Washington Post in college that's pretty cool Uh,
2: well I I mean it as in it had some variety in each each of those had choices involved. Right, Not all of them were right. I learned two things, uh, meaning, uh, for example, when I went to be editor of the Dallas Times Herald, as it turned out, there was an oil recession on. People tended to forget that in the mid-80s and it was West Texas Intermediate Crude <laughs> went below 10 mm. and that was quite a problem in Texas. And so the paper was sold by times Mirror That led to me going to the Los Angeles Times and in effect entering a contest to become the next editor in a couple of years, which was demographically set because the editor had a 65 retirement. Mm-hmm. And no, no guarantees whatsoever. It turned out much better. So what I try to tell young people Seeking advice on these things is—it often will seem like this is a momentous choice. I've got to do this, and if I guess wrong, ugh, right, dreadful. Actually, a lot of times you may not get a good bounce on what you choose, but it's how you play that bounce. Keep Everything going. is in how you play the bounce. You Keep get going. good ones that you didn't expect and yeah. maybe didn't even deserve, right. and bad ones you don't deserve either. But uh, keep punching. The second thing is, uh, I think we all s- uh, can be subject to analysis paralysis, trying to think about, should I do go red or should I go great? green? And the uh, unusual uh, piece of advice I read and then started using and found very helpful and I'll explain why it's helpful, is a use of game theory for decision but applied simply to office and career type decisions. You're torn between two things. The right. pro-con lists, uh, mm. uh, they're helpful but often don't lead you to anything other than, oh. Uh, because
1: uh, you can be biased. I've done it in yeah. that creating what are the pros and what are the cons. Right. So To fit an answer you're already hoping you give
2: yourself. Oh, very interesting. You're right. Uh, The the greatest con artist we'll ever meet is ourselves. Oh, my gosh. So (laughs) the game theory says in this context, write down if I choose choice A, I am most afraid of this result. That's interesting. If I choose choice B, I am most afraid of this result, and then you choose the least worst. Mm-hmm. Now, why is that useful? I'm not saying it's the absolute tiebreaker, and but do it's a tool. This, it's a tool. But it's a tool which counteracts what is our natural optimism uh, on on our choice and our anxiety. And so, by saying, "Okay, view it from the pessimist standpoint," and say. <laughs> Both of these could turn out badly. What's the least worst? Mm -hmm. Uh, You have given yourself another tool. So let's, like, apply that very interesting tool.
1: The Dallas scenario changes because of the oil prices going down. The economy is really hindered. You then are recruited
2: by the L.A. Times, or did you, like, go after that? The interesting point. I was recruited to come back to a major magazine and also to a major newspaper at the same time uh, on the East Coast, and the Los Angeles Times wanted me to try for a place, but I had to talk with the top people there, and the ultimately the job offer was a, a step or two back. Actually, okay. from what i had been so I'd was been that editing. a big
1: decision to take that was a
2: big decision.
1: And did you do some pros and cons, or if I choose this, what's the worst thing that can happen? A lot
2: of yeah, I, uh, uh, a lot of thinking about it, and what eventually decided me was I loved the idea that of Los Angeles. I'd always been crazy of and course. M- remain an LA patriot, despite many. Mean things said by Easterners, and I'm looking at, uh, I'm looking at people right here in this studio who are snorting. Todd, our producer,
1: not me. I'm, no. I live in Ohio.
2: <laughs> and so, to uh, some extent, I was just short of forty, and so I thought, well, I have time in mind. There are other things I can do. If it doesn't work out, I'll do something else and so took the chance but and you're married
1: it, it, excuse me I'm trying to paint so you, I mean this is a big decision though, to
2: move your family to LA you have kids at this point right yeah that's a big decision well and my wife was uh, an emergency room doctor and one of the interesting things about the medical systems and states that at least at that point had high immigration to them in Cl- California and Florida and Texas and other places is they want to make it as hard as possible for other doctors to move in. Hmm. <laughs> so you have to take more boards. You have to go get license. We had to go walk it through. So this is Sacramento. a complex why in the road. Back complex why in the yeah. road. Yeah. And my wife, to her great credit, uh, as she would say now, uh, I have licenses in practically every state in the union. Mm-hmm. Uh, she later got it in New York when we moved back there. Uh, but she also said, uh, once I would gotten to the museum and uh, Freedom Forum here in Washington, which was where she wanted to settle, uh, a couple of other places came calling, and she said, "You can take the job if you want, but I've shaken my last corporate hand for you." Mm. <laughs> yeah, message received. Yeah, and uh, uh,
1: I, I get that. I'm sure. I'm sure uh, that led to you. Laying some roots, <laughs> right, right. Back to Washington, city yeah. of my birth. So yeah. I'm not, I'm yeah. not a bit unhappy. Yeah, and, and we're going to talk about that. I know mm-hmm. your, your, father's father was a United States senator. Actually, my mother's father. Your mother's father, right. excuse me. Mm-hmm. And so you're back in the city where you spent a lot of your youth. But before right. we get to that, you've mentioned boxing a few times. Um, what What does boxing do for you
2: that your
1: journalism doesn't?
2: Well, I think, like most uh, American males of my time and place, uh, I like sports. And boxing, somehow the Friday night fights of yore with Gillette uh, sponsoring, uh, intrigued me. And I guess it is the nature of conflict, uh, the athleticism, and strategy Mm -hmm. once you become... Uh, interested in it. Uh, that uh, also the the characters uh, are amazing. Boxing, mm-hmm. as some people have called it, is one school calls it the sweet science. Another school calls it the red light district of sports. Um, but as in red light districts in general, uh, very lively characters, uh, the speed, and rise and fall of fortunes. Uh, is, that's a good is very point. Uh, interesting and uh, when Buster Douglas with one punch
1: takes out Mike Tyson out of nowhere, I mean right, that's the speed of a rise and fall of somebody, yeah.
2: And then Buster losing his title right the next pretty, time pretty out. quickly, and right. uh, uh, as a result, um, my son also liked it, so that has kept the uh, the that's good. pleasure of it. So. Part of our fun in Los Angeles would to be would be to go up to Las Vegas for the big fight weekend wow. with uh, the PR man, Bill Kaplan, and the promoter, Bob Arum, and we'd uh, go to dinner after the fights with George Foreman. Mm. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how big uh, Mixed Martial Arts is now?
1: Uh, we have two teenage boys, two mm-hmm. of our three kids, and not only them but like all their friends everyone's got a favorite MMA guy or right. they're all doing some sort of mixed martial arts themselves in various levels of you know good or not challenging or not but still it's it's so huge
2: it more yes, than boxing it has it has come on it yeah. has come on in a big way and it's and it's definitely the uh, probably coming on. I think boxing will maintain okay. as a major sport. You still have extremely good people doing it, and I uh, possibly the it is the primal conflict between two one men on one or two women. There's no nowadays. team. That's right. Yeah. Yes,
1: and you can't hide. You know, in business or even on teams, a weaker person is still on the team, but in that scenario of the ring, there's just one against one, it's ma- right like you there. said, male or female, right? And there, there's a known winner at the end, and I guess we can debate who wins. That's one of the reasons I've always liked elections, actually, mm-hmm. politi- political elections. Mm-hmm. You know, legislative campaigns sometimes can go on forever. Right. But uh, an election, we know it's November 3rd or November 4th, whatever the date. It's a very black and white you winner. Feel,
2: you feel you know that now.
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I guess lately the presidential races haven't been that way, but you know what I mean. Like you know, at yes. the end of the day, which t- which side wins and which right. side doesn't win. And I've always liked that about um, political affairs. You you still live uh, and operate in, in the Washington D.C. area, and I know you're often asked to comment on political affairs and just you know current affairs in general. But I wanted to ask you, like, what was that Asian policy organization? that I referenced at the beginning that you were a past board member of. Do you have a particular interest in Asian affairs? was very
2: interested in it when in Los Angeles. Okay, uh, that makes sense. It uh, actually is called the Pacific uh, Council on International uh, Policy, and it was uh, set up as, uh, as a West Coast relative, a mm-hmm. cousin, mm-hmm. of the Council on Foreign Via Relations. Via USC, I think? Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, Abe Lowenthal, a very good professor at USC, started it. Okay. And he had been in the Council on Foreign Relations, which I'm also a member of and have been a member for a number of years. But because of geography and because of different interests, uh, the Council works hard to uh, cover uh, a broad field, but it was seen as better uh, to have a West Coast-based organization. Kind of a think tank? Should we simply put it as a
1: think tank, or...? Uh,
2: it had studies, groups, and also, like the Council, would pull together professional staff with members to address, for example, um, Chinese trade policy... Got it. ...or okay. uh, Japanese uh, relationship to military... Okay. Uh, ...defense. How That's big it. should it be? and uh, and then would have uh, public forums uh, for people. So for people interested in foreign affairs, both organizations have... So that makes sense when
1: you were in LA that that was extremely relevant to you, more so maybe than now that you're here in the East. Do you think there's an area of current affairs that you gravitate towards the most now? Do you have something that's really stimulating you right now?
2: I think like everybody else, the the policy in the middle east has been dominant but i remain interested in asia because at the time uh, with the los angeles times our big we had a um, we had a syndicate meaning we would put out columnists mm-hmm. and uh, other uh elements that newspapers would buy. Our most famous and most profitable was Henry Kissinger. And so
1: just to explain so yeah. and make sure I understand it. So you would have a, a staff writer at the LA Times
2: that could then have his article appear somewhere else. Well in, 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 in a this newspaper. case they would be people who were columnists. They would not be LA Times employees per okay. se, but we would sign a contract with okay. them. Okay. So these would be experts, it would be cartoons, mm. uh, oh, yeah, bridge cartoons. columns, all of those things Got were... It. So the L.A. Times syndicate then would uh, had salesmen who would go around the world, and they were fascinating. So group. Henry
1: Kissinger was
2: one of Henry your... Henry Kissinger... He was, was your the, talent. The tip-top. I've, I've heard of him. And, uh, and it was great fun to get to know him mm. um, uh, uh, over that time. He would maybe once a year come into town, call up for lunch and it uh, set up my theory of cross-coast uh, cross fame and what you want to do. For example, my sister had shot a movie with Jamie Lee Curtis, and one day at Duke Ziebert's, which was then the hot restaurant in Washington, Jamie Lee Curtis is in town promoting a movie, and Duke Ziebert finds out that my sister had shot the movie and Jamie Lee, who liked my sister, stood up in the middle of the place. Everybody's looking. Sonny Jurgensen, Edward Bennett Williams, every all the big mockers are there, and she starts walking as in slow motion, as in a movie, towards me. And she said, you're Anne Coffey's brother. I just want to thank you. I had such great. Wow. <laughs> Even better, John Travolta was sitting back at the table, nobody looking at him. Uh, he was having lunch with her, uh, and uh, so Uh, So that was great. Now, I've been at restaurants with Jamie Lee Curtis on the West Coast and, you know, we're L.A. people. We're cool. We're not going to get all excited. But, one time when Henry Kissinger called me for lunch, we went to what was then the hottest restaurant in L.A., Patina. And the place goes wild. It was near the uh, gates of Paramount. And the Owner came out to me after and said, "I can't believe it, Henry Kissinger. This is Isn't great." Isn't that interesting? Yeah, and the and, political and had figure, uh, Jamie Lee, come in or Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's oh, okay. Right, you know, they'd right, be Paramount so right. what. Yeah, We're cool. And uh, so, uh, all you need to do is get the pr- get the famous person out of their usual spot. And Henry uh, Kissinger was happen. a
1: legendary writer after being a public servant. I think his last book on China was like a thousand pages or something. I it's found shorter it shorter than that, but it's it's longer than five hundred pages. It is longer
2: than that. He yeah. b- but he was schooled, and it is a brilliant book, a wonderful book, mm. and uh, he has been uh, been great fun to, to know. I saw him. I think it was a few years back at the Kennedy Center Honors, and I hadn't seen him in person for. For a while, oh Shelby, how are you doing? So, you I, so I told my wife, uh, I said, "Oh, wasn't that nice?" Uh, Henry remembered me by sight, and she said, "You never forget somebody who's paying you a
0: million dollars a year." Mm. So, yeah, <laughs> he better remember you. <laughs> you are listening to the Up to podcast. We'll be right back.
1: I'm grateful that Calfee Halter and Griswold has agreed to once again partner with us. With offices in Ohio and Washington, D.C., this full-service national law firm focuses on every aspect of business and the law, including corporate and finance, intellectual property, and government relations. Let me be clear. I actually approach companies with whom I would like to partner. We just don't accept marketing dollars from anyone. I have been referring my CEO and entrepreneur friends to Calfee for years. I really believe in the firm. One of their notable practice areas is in mergers and acquisitions. And recently, for instance, I introduced a successful entrepreneur in the Midwest to Calfee when he told me that a European-based conglomerate wanted to buy his business. Calfee works with large corporations as well as privately held companies throughout the US and Canada and in Europe and Asia too. So whether it's selling your own business, or the more routine needs of creating your first will or anything in between, this firm can really do it all in terms of legal needs. Once again, the firm is Calfee, Halter and Griswold, and you can find them at calfee.com or on the UpTo Foundation website.
0: Welcome back. You are listening to the UpTo podcast. Today's guest is Shelby Coffey.
1: You mentioned uh, former Secretary of State Kissinger. Is there anyone you're reading now? I I don't ask just my journalism friends. I ask Mm. everybody, what are you reading? Who are you being stimulated by? what form do you read is it online are you still buying books I'm I'm a product of I still love newspapers I told you that right I still buy books it drives my wife crazy a little bit we have so many books in the house but how do you consume content and and what are you consuming uh... a range in addition to the up to podcast which I know you are up always to listening to. Up to podcast
2: is on 24-7 oh, uh, no, Lord, our, uh, help your family our cat and our dog are a little <laughs> upset tonight. Oh God. uh, I'm, uh, for good and for ill, an omnivore. I still like certain kinds of books uh, that I'm trying to learn from and mark up. I have, in later years, at least while they were going, given cruises, uh, uh, cruise lectures. And so certain books I like for that. So, for example, I read... uh, uh, to Start a War by Robert Draper, which mm. is uh, a comprehensive look at how the Bush administration went to war. He's mm. interviewed everybody. It's about 18 years after, so you can get I like Woodward's material.
1: Bush at War, Around the Same Time Frame by Bob Woodward. Yes. And well, I've,
2: I've read all of Bob's books And as I know well. you're
1: interviewing him soon. Uh, yep. We're going sidebar for a minute, but I know you're interviewing sure. uh, Mr. Woodward soon. Yeah. And you are a good interviewer. Well, you're, you're kind, but we'll give it a try. But do you have any tips on being a good interviewer, <laughs> considering where I'm sitting at the
2: table today? I think the, uh, you, you know what you, what you do well. The key is asking the question quickly. I got this from Jim Lehrer. And then listening and asking the question off that, rather than a mistake I used to make more often when you're working up your 20 questions then they become sort of a tyrannical checkbox list that you're you're trying to get through and so you you miss that somebody has said something Kind of amazing worth following up so
1: it's not horrible that i interrupted you right now to follow up on the bob woodward stuff even though we're still talking about and i've I've
2: read all of bob's books i'm i'm plunging into peril right Mm. now his latest brand new which has gotten a lot of publicity the other book i've read that is similar to the start uh, to start a war and i just passed this on for washington people there's a book called king richard by Michael Dobbs, who was at the Washington Post, a very fine correspondent over the years there, of British extraction originally, I believe. But he, Michael, in much the same way Draper attacks the decision to start a war, is able to get all of the tapes and mm. and do uh circles in on the first hundred days of the second Nixon administration when he has won this Tremendous! One of the biggest electoral college victories ever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he's on top of the world. He's opening to China, Salt Accords, and yet there is this problem right there in the foundations of the mansion.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And 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 you can see because he synthesizes it so well. And and both books are relatively fast-paced, which I appreciate yes. as somebody who likes to. To read books, but has well, the runway's getting a little shorter. I've got you've got to be selective by how you spend your time, right? Yeah. Is it Uh,
1: always nonfiction books, or do you also enjoy fiction at all? You mentioned Tom Wolfe earlier.
2: Oh yes, I do like fiction, and it's a sort of a different thing. I started uh, while I was uh, editing newspapers. I would have the first edition brought to my home Hmm. at ten o'clock at night. started at the Washington Post because you were always afraid would they write a headline that had the word shirt in it and leave out the R accident? Oh, my God, how could it stay on? We caught it in the first edition, Mr. Bradley. Don't worry. Have you ever had to say, halt the presses? Close enough. Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah. I think when when Princess Diana died, I had to say, start the presses because Mm. uh, some people on the desk were so... uh, holding on to the copy, trying to get it just right. I mm. run it without. Mm. We got go to the, press, get right. the presses going. So uh, the, after that, after going through the paper, I liked to, as almost a palate cleanser, go to a different world. And mm-hmm. so a really uh, very fine fiction writer, certain detec- right. detective, Novelists I've mm-hmm. always liked, uh, and literary fiction of different sorts.
1: I've admitted that I still read newspapers and print. You're yeah. talking about books. Do you do any online reading? or No, maybe I was going
2: to say I re—I shifted to Kindle for much of my fiction okay, reading. Okay. I find that lighter and easier, and also it's better for my wife. Yeah, uh, if you read so it that at nighttime. I'm not, uh, yeah. Well, that I'm not keeping the light
1: on. Right. We've had how about uh, the future of journalism is it all going to be digital is there a future for newspapers are we going to need more barons like jeff bezos to buy the washington post or do you think there's room for print in this digital world that we're in I- i'm hoping there is but i'd
2: really love your opinion having been through so much of this i hope so uh because i because i like it i'm right. cautious about predictions, especially about the future, as Yogi Berra says, uh, because uh, in the early days of the Internet, uh, we, uh, we were uh, very bullish on the future uh, in the print, because we thought, well, well, we'll shift, and we won't have to buy all this paper from these Canadians who are charging us very high prices. And all these trucks, and we're going to be rich. <laughs> and uh, what we didn't quite realize was we had not a monopoly position, but a if you were a strong newspaper in a town, you had a very strong position for advertising. Yeah, big brand to yeah. the higher uh, demographics, right? Uh, as well as everybody else, and so you were sought after, and. What the internet did was open all of these other ways for advertisers sure. to uh, to nicheify mm-hmm. and to and so we were no longer the major uh, element. You weren't the distribution channel for the advertising at that point. At yeah. the in the same dominant way, mm-hmm. and l- likewise, you you've seen you've seen it all. My guess is that uh, for some years. Paper will appeal to the people who can afford it. Let the New York Times, bless their hearts, raise it up to a hundred a month. I'll pay it. Mm. Uh, Don't tell them. I'll pay a hundred and fifty a month. (laughs) I'm going to have because when I was eight years old, you probably know the Salzburgers. I don't. We won't tell them. I was. I do, and there's a reason. The Salzburgers, actually, the Ox family, uh, who was the original purchaser of the New York Times. Uh, We're in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Mr. Ox bought the Chattanooga Times, which was the paper I grew up with, looked just like the New York Times, the same typeface and everything, uh, as a boy, and I was given a writing prize at age eight, Hmm. an Adolph Ox prize for five dollars. So you were a prodigy at age eight already? No, but I liked writing and my family loved reading. You're being humble. bunch of lawyers. uh, And so it was all in the air. But that stuck with me all through grade school, high school, and so on. Maybe I could do a little of this stuff. Mm -hmm. The irony, of course, as I've told Arthur Sulzberger, is that the one uh, North Star, the champion in American journalism, has always In modern years been the New York Times and if there was one paper we wanted to knock off its perch at the Washington Post it was the New York Times Mm -hmm. and when I went to the Los Angeles Times Otis Chandler who was the great publisher and the the family owner had specifically said in his memo uh, taking over setting out what he wanted to do uh, was we want to knock the New York Times off its perch. Mm-hmm. Not meaning to. Right. Uh, it's a competitive credit, thing but in business, but, That's to, normal. but to do that, to yeah. aim for yeah. the aim for the, the champion. Dog, so, right. so in this ironic way, the Ox and Sulzberger family have been the the goads to whatever success i've been able to have but also uh, they've done a remarkable job and arthur would say on uh, to your question for for many years he has said i'm platform agnostic what i care about are that the values that have made the new york times and other mm-hmm. top flight mm-hmm. media institutions great uh, matter most Is it quality journalism is it evidence-based is it are you giving context right. are you giving Uh, comparisons that matter to readers double checking sources and
1: so forth have you um thought much about you mentioned you only have so much time joking about what you should read have you thought much about maybe in the past one of those whys in the road that you could have gone this route instead of that route or maybe the better way of asking it is, if you could give your younger self some advice. Now that you're a little bit older, mm. <laughs> uh,
2: seventy-four, pressing seventy-five. God bless it, you. It happens.
1: You have so much more hair than me. You look awesome. I didn't know. I honestly <laughs> no, no, didn't know no, no, that no, was no. your age. But what what advice would you give? Joking aside, what advice would you give your younger self? My younger self, or any younger self? Two Yours. separate questions. You're 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 talking to the young mm. Shelby
2: Coffee. It's going to work out better than you could think. Mm. It has. Okay. And my wife and I, obviously, uh, during this past year and a half, it's a time of some reflection. Uh, for sure, for and, all of us. And uh, the, uh, the one luckiest thing I did, and this is part of one of my talks, is the, 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 on the life philosophy of Warren Buffett, whom I've known a long time. His daughter used to work for me. And he has a, a wonderful set of things. I won't give them all, but I will say, uh, a key is marry well. It's uh, it matters more than you think. Mm. And it, uh, it, as as we know, you don't always know the person that you marry may be quite different in ten years. Uh, it, doesn't always work out but mm-hmm. in our case it did mm-hmm. and so we are able to look back after two children and both having had careers with uh, some successes and a, and a full taste of the experiences and uh, and feel good mm. and uh so that uh that i suppose would it have relaxed me more i was you know, like a lot of people. Ambitious driven. and driven, right? Yeah, dr- driven to uh, to do well, to be seen to doing well, uh, jump to the next thing if this one doesn't appear to be working. It worked out, but I don't know that that if I had known that, <laughs> if I would have relaxed too much. Well, it's uh, good. It
1: sounds like your advice isn't keep one... Keep your center. Yeah, keep your center. It sounds like it's nothing uh, about regretting anything, which is wonderful. A lot of times I ask that question, Mm. people regret that they did this instead of that. So no, you're just reaffirming your path and you're saying with optimism, relax a little bit, it's gonna work out fine. So I, I think that's good advice for all of us.
2: Studies show psychologically people often, not always, but often in their 60s and 70s, a certain amount of peace comes with their life, uh, not necessarily because of the choices they've made or did they wind up number two or number three on the totem pole, uh, but because they realize that happened. Right. And uh, as that's uh, Cheney once said, you don't get do-overs in life.
1: Mm. That's interesting though that you're saying that about the studies and people reflecting with uh, mm. some happiness. I, in my uh, 30s and then early 40s, I found myself around a lot of people older than me, professionally, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. calling on them for various things, and I would envy them. I would kind of wrongly just see their life in a brief snapshot, and maybe how professionally successful they were, or how financially affluent they were. And I would envy these mostly men Mm -hmm. um, for all the stuff that they seemed to accumulate. But then once I got to know them better, whether it was after some work engagement we did together, or having cigars, or just getting to know each other better, I would often find that these hard-driving, super ambitious, accumulated lots of stuff guys, Mm -hmm. they were broken inside, whether it was their third marriage or they were distant from their kids, and none of them told me they wished they worked more. All all of them said the opposite. I should have spent more time at home, and I didn't hear you say that in your answer, which is great, but there are a lot of uber-successful, financially successful people who don't reflect on their lives as positively as you seem like you are. So I I, I feel good about that for you. Well,
2: regrets, I've got a few, but still too few to mention.
1: Okay, And
2: I think uh, work can become a refuge. Yes. And every form of refuge has its price. Right. And that's, that's worth keeping in mind, that you need to have some center well outside work because think it was one of tom johnson who was the head of cnn and who chose me as editor of the los angeles times a, a great man one of the world's greatest bosses as well and he and he said uh... don't put too much of your sense of self in your job because your job can be taken away from you through no fault of your own mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. the market goes wrong it's uh... any number of things can happen but." choosing something that is a goal outside and I think he was using uh, something I've seen adapted in books Uh, for example uh, one guy whose life at work was good but not scintillating you wouldn't be reading about him in business week set the goal early in his life that he wanted to swim, let's say, 15 of the major rivers in the world. He wanted to climb 10 of the mm-hmm. mountains mm-hmm. over 10,000 feet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he set that, and oddly enough, without ever becoming a wealthy guy who could jet around and do that, that that kind of adventure trekking yeah. He was able to do That's it good in advice. his life. yes yeah, so don't. And, and you can adapt that to I want to help an orphanage right. get on its feet, right. or what have you. Don't but be identified setting, just by your work life. Setting something that right. that motivates you in a major way outside your work life. Uh, what has that been for you? Uh, I got the advice too late. <laughs> no, I didn't. I never set. Um, uh, I never set some major thing, but I think uh, looking at it, uh, the the major through line has been uh, my family, mm. my wife, my mm-hmm. children, mm-hmm. uh, with whom uh, in we have that, that wonderful thing. They're in their uh, 40s now. Uh, my daughter just turned 50, and we're great friends with them, mm. and so we, priceless. Uh, we spend time, and that's been going on for mm. uh, well over a couple of decades.
1: Awesome. So well, pleasure. you mentioned Mr. Johnson, your former editor and boss, uh, as a great Publisher. man. Publisher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was going to say you're a great man, oh. and I'm grateful that you came into our program today. Uh, it's always shocking to me how quick the time goes, so thank you Shelby, for being with us today. Um, I've looked up to you f- for many years, and you've made up to a better show by having uh, you present today. So, thank you.
2: As I said at the start, Adam, my honor. Mm-hmm. You make all your guests feel honored, and thank you for putting forth the great set of lessons, advice, and amusements oh, thank that make. You. Uh, a terrific broadcast.
1: That's so nice. We're going to make sure Todd turns up the volume on that last sentence there. That was great and Can't unexpected. can we cut that? Yeah. I thought that
2: could be cut. Thank
1: you. <laughs> Thanks, Shelby.
2: All right. Take care. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Up To Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe via your podcast platform of choice. You can also email Adam directly at adam at Foundation.org to receive our newsletter and to suggest speakers and give your candid feedback we'd love to hear from you the up to podcast is produced by the bl media group right outside of the nation's capital in northern virginia we'll see you next time